Hey everyone, it's Graham Taylor here at Hudson Rose. I hope you're well. We're here again. It's time for episode two of the Hudson Rose UK Mortgage Podcast. Uh, last time we just did some very basic uh, mortgage terminology, Mortgages 101. This time we're going to give you a bit of an idea about the framework and the process of how to buy a property. So where do you start? What are the stages you need to go in, uh, go through and in what order? I'm also going to touch a little bit on deposits as well and uh, loan to value. A term that you're going to hear quite a lot of throughout your mortgage journey is loan to value. So we'll explain what the gubbins that is all about uh, and uh, leave it at that really. So hope you find it useful. Uh, reach out, say hi. You can get us on the Hudson Rose Facebook page or send me an email at hello at hudson-rose.co.uk. Equally, if there's anything you particularly want to know about, drop me a line. We'll include it if we can. If we know about it, we'll include it. Uh, but other than that, hope you guys are all well and enjoy the show. So how do you go about buying a house or a flat in the UK? Where do you start? thing to remember is that people don't do this regularly. It's something that even those that have bought houses before probably only do it every five to 10 years, I'd have thought. I mean, some people do move a little bit more than that. But the point is, is that you're not going to be an expert at something you do every five or 10 years. It's just not possible. So it's important to realize that although you might be feeling a bit overwhelmed in the process and not sure about what your next move is going to be, chances are everybody else in the process has the same issue. So the first thing is not to panic. Secondly, put the paper down. Stop looking at right move, get off Zoopla, all that kind of stuff. Because looking at properties at this stage before you've laid the groundwork generally, generally, generally can't speak, generally leads to disappointment. Because what we need to do is we need to lay the foundations and the steps to make sure that what you start looking at when you start looking at properties is achievable. So where do we start? Well, the first thing I would do is complete a budget planner. That sounds pretty dull, pretty grown up, but it's pretty crucial. Uh, what a budget planner is, is it just lists your income versus your outgoings. It's really easy to do. And if you do it once and do it properly, it'll pay dividends because you're going to need this information further into the process when you start speaking to uh, financial advisors or banks or building societies or whatever route you choose to go down. So budget planners, list your, your money in after tax each month on one side. On the other side, just write a note of all the outgoings that you make every month of your essential expenditure. So go in your bank statements, work out what your gas, your electric, your council tax, your food, gym membership, the stuff that you can't do without uh, every month and make a, a big long list of it and then add it up at the bottom. OK, now, when you do this, ignore your current rent payment or ignore your current mortgage payment, because what we want to do is we want to find out how much money you've got left over at the end of the month to pay your mortgage with. And what this does is this provides you with a bit of clarity over to where your financial position is. Because if you work out that you're spending more on the way out than's coming in, then clearly we've got a bit of a problem and it might not be the right thing to do to buy a house at that time. Now, if you want a budget planner, I have one that I can send out to you that we've uh, written out, which sort of lists all the stuff you're going to need to know about in terms of outgoings. Uh, hit me up, send me a message at hello at hudson-rose.co.uk and I will send that one across to you uh, with no problems whatsoever. So we've done the budget planner. That's the first step. Second step is we need to work out deposit. If you remember last week, we talked about deposit and we said the deposit is the lump of cash that you've got to put in to add to the mortgage that the lender's going to give you. 
in order to reach the purchase price of the property you want to buy. So you need to start thinking, well, how much money have you got? Where are you going to get this money from? You've probably been saving a bit already. If you haven't, you may be looking at starting to saving. So you need to kind of get a feel for what cash you can lay your hands on. Generally, the minimum deposit you're going to need when you're buying a property is 5% of the purchase price of the property you're buying. So if you're buying a property at £200,000, you're going to need £10,000 as a minimum. The more or the greater the deposit you can get together, the better things are for you. So better interest rates, uh, generally, I can't say that word today, generally, generally increased affordability as well. So the more deposit you can save, the better. But clearly, you know, it's uh, it's a hard thing to do. So you can't, you don't, don't panic. You have to keep going and keep going. You'll get to the point where you know roughly what you need to get to get the property that you want to buy. Now, like I said at the beginning, this episode is not going to go into the real nuts and bolts of all the people you're speaking to and all the processes. It's just to give you this basic framework of the order of steps to take in order to buy a property in the UK, essentially. So once you've got your deposit and you know roughly what deposit you're aiming to get and you've got your budget planner and you know how much income you've got left over each month, the next thing to do is basically now to start to speak to someone that knows what to do with these numbers. So that might be uh, an independent whole of market uh, broker or mortgage advisor. It might be someone at your local bank or building society. Like I say, we're going to cover off all the things that they do and the merits of going to one over the other in a later podcast. But if you go to them with a knowledge of your deposit and a knowledge of your outgoings and everything else, what they'll be able to do is they'll be able to then take those numbers and give you an idea of what potentially you can borrow. So once you've got that, you can then start to work out what your maximum purchase price is because you know what you can borrow because you've spoken to someone that can uh, assess those numbers for you. You've got your rough idea of deposit or what it's going to be. So then you can add those two figures together and then you get a potential purchase price. So we're getting towards right move time here. It's getting a bit exciting. Once you've got your purchase price, there's one more thing we need to do to make sure that you're looking and hitting in the right ballpark in terms of uh, property price and value and everything else. And that is unfortunately fees. Uh, fees are a part of buying property in the UK. So you're going to have to get an idea of stamp duty. There is a uh, stamp duty uh calculator on the gov.uk website, which is really useful. And you can play around with it and put in different uh, purchase prices and it will give you a figure of what you have to spend and what you have to pay on stamp duty uh, at the other side. Obviously, depends at the moment, the time of recording depends if you're a first time buyer because there are uh, special dispensations and discounts and first time buyers don't have to pay stamp duty up to certain amounts and, and all sorts of other bits and pieces at the moment. But those things can change. So depending when you're listening to this, go on the gov.uk website, play with the stamp duty calculator. You've also got other costs involved with uh, property purchase. You're going to have to pay a solicitor, a conveyancer, and we'll come on to them in a later episode, but they're going to have a professional fee. You're likely going to have to pay um, a mortgage broker if you go down that route. You may not if you, if you use the banking route. And also you might need to hire a van to move your stuff from one thing to another. You know, let's not overlook these things. So a bit of a slush fund in terms of uh, costs to, to get you to move house is ideal. So working out these fees now, you've got an idea of what you can borrow, you've got an idea of your deposit, just get an idea of the fees. You can speak to some solicitors, you can speak to some conveyors, chat to friends, family who have moved house, get an idea of what it costs them, and then take those numbers away from your big pot of cash, your big deposit. And so that should get you to the point where you know roughly what the purchase price is going to be. Right, so we've done the theory. We've got theoretical numbers. We know maximum 
loans. We know maximum deposits. We've got a rough idea on fees. We're starting to get there. We're almost going to look at properties. But hold off. Don't do it yet. There's one more thing we should do. And that is get an agreement in principle or a decision in principle. Depends on the lender you speak to, what they're called. Now, you'll do this via the person that you spoke to in the step before. So when you start, that person that gave you an idea of what you could afford, that could be the mortgage broker, it could be the mortgage advisor at the local bank, whichever route you've decided to go down, they're the person that's going to get be able to get you this decision in principle. Now, a word about decisions in principle. They are only as good as the information you feed into them. You can go online and you can uh, get yourself a decision in principle from any of the major banks or building societies online, okay? And they'll ask you to enter different bits of information. What they do with that information is they then credit score you. So it's dipping your toe in the water to make sure that the theoretical numbers we've spoken about actually apply to you. Because if you don't have a particularly high credit score, or if you are not deemed credit worthy, as they say, it's a bit Victorian sounding that, isn't it? But if you're not credit worthy, I'll take my, my stovepipe hat off, um, then they may not lend you that money. So what we want to do is we want to dip our toe in to say, well, actually, if you can prove everything you've told us on that form, on that decision in principle form, then we're going to be happy to lend you the cash. So this is where you get your decision in principle. Now, as I said, they're only as good as the numbers you enter. So if you don't know what numbers to enter on the DIP form, you're going to get the wrong uh, answer, the wrong reply at the other end. I could probably get a decision in principle for £2 million. No one's going to lend me £2 million um, because I don't have the money to do that. But it, it's, a very, it's a very dumb system. It's just taking the figures coming in. It's credit scoring saying, yep, your credit profile's good. Prove those figures to us and we should be good to go. So that's why I'd always urge caution against doing a decision in principle yourself uh, on a lender's website, because um, unless you really know what they want, you're probably not going to get the right answer. And again, it's going to lead to disappointment coming back the other side. We've got the decision in principle. We've got our little certificate that says this is what we should be able to borrow because we've gone to the right place and made sure the numbers are correct. So now we can start looking at properties. You'll now be able to go on to right move, confident that you've got an idea of what you can afford, confident that you know what the fees are going to be with that purchase, and confident that your credit profile is good to be able to get that loan. So this is the fun bit. Start looking at properties. You know, start looking at stuff that uh, is, is well within budget, obviously, but also look at things where, you know, they might have been on the market a little bit longer. You might be able to pull them down a little bit in price and get it into your budget. So this is where it gets really exciting. Uh, you get to go out, nose around other people's houses and see what is on offer in your area uh, or the extended area and really have the fun part. Uh, once you've done that, once you find the property of your dreams and it's within affordability, you go forward and you make your offer. And we'll have a little show about making offers uh, in the future because there's not really any structure to that, but we've got a bit of a framework that should help. Now, I did say at the beginning that I was going to touch on uh, a term that you're going to hear quite a lot of in the mortgage process, and that is loan to value. Uh, what is it? Why is it important? Um, and what do we need to know about it? Well, simply loan to value is just the relationship of the amount that you're borrowing on your mortgage against the value of the property. And they just express it as a percentage. So if you were going to buy a property for £100,000 and you needed a mortgage of £75,000 to do that, then your loan to value is 75% because 75000 is 75% of 100000 in that instance. So that's all it is. Now, why is it important? Well, it does a number of things. Uh, when we get to talk about mortgage products, that's interest rates, you know, fixed rates and tracker rates and all those sorts of things, the loan to value has a direct effect on what rate you are going to get. So if you have a, a higher loan to value, 
which means you have a smaller deposit, then generally your interest rates are going to be higher than you if you have a lower loan to value, which would require a bigger deposit. Uh, why is that? Well, simply, it's just lenders perceive there to be an increased risk if you've got a smaller level of deposit. And like everything in life, if they think there's an increased risk, they're going to charge a little bit more to offset that risk. So loan to value is just the relationship of your loan against the value of the property expressed as a percentage. And if you ever need to work it out, because it's not always you're gonna buy at 70, borrow 75,000 against 100,000, the easy way to do it is divide your loan by the purchase price and multiply by 100. So the final thing I want to mention today uh, before we wrap this episode up and you can get on with your busy lives is a little word about deposits. Now, deposits, that lump of cash you need to stick into the deal to uh, bridge the gap between the mortgage and the purchase price can come from a number of sources. It could be savings. Uh, you could have saved over a number of years. Uh, it could be inheritance, uh, but it could also be gifted to you. And this is something that's obviously quite common because there's a lot of wealth locked up in uh, in houses of older generations and they want to help younger generations. So they sometimes gift that deposit. Now, if that deposit is going to be gifted, that's generally pretty cool with most lenders. There's no problem with that. But they will need to sign a form to say that it is gifted and that they don't have any interest in the property and it's not going to be repayable. There's some slight caveats to that where lenders don't mind it being repaid if it's coming from the sale of the property. But for the most part, they're going to want to know, the lender's going to want to know that that money has been gifted. Right. Why do they want to know that? Well, the reason being is because it's quite simply if they have to take possession of the property. So if you don't pay your mortgage and uh, they come along and say, right, we're taking this back. Um, death pledge. Remember episode one, death pledge. Uh, then they don't want somebody popping their head up and saying, well, actually, I put 30,000 into this. Can I have my 30,000 back? Because it just makes it a bit of a legal mess. So by having that uh, gifted deposit letter, that letter that they have, uh, the donor has no interest in the property, they can get round that. So that about wraps it up for this episode. I hope that gives you a flavour of the steps to take in order to buy a property in the UK. And a bit of information why following those steps means that you're best prepared to get the house when you see the house of your dreams, uh, jump on it and get off the market quickly because you've done all the groundwork. Also, that little bit about uh, deposits at the end, hopefully that helps with things like gifted deposits, should that apply to you. Now, if you're a first-time buyer or if you're someone that hasn't done this for a while, then we have a guide available called Help I'm Buying a Property. Um, feel free to drop me an email, send me a message on Facebook, just search Hudson Rose um, or hello at hudson-rose.co.uk. I'll send that across and that lists those steps out there uh, that we've gone through. It also has the budget planner as well. So that'd be really useful uh, if you need it, let me know. Other than that, take care guys and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.